What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Go ahead and check us out there. That's where you get podcasts, articles, all of our newest posts. We do share it out from that page. And also at sportsethos.com, you get everything from the source there. Yesterday, we had a very fun article hit the website. It was a fantasy baseball expert roundtable. I had six people from around the fantasy community talk about their hardest players to rank. We talked about it on the show yesterday as well. We went through all the different selections, talked about my, my uh, feelings and opinions on them as well. But if you are somebody who would prefer to go consume that in written form, it's in the show notes from yesterday's podcast, but it's also available on all our different social medias and, of course, at sportsethos.com as well. So make sure you're checking us out over there and check in periodically throughout the season as well for all the different updates we have at Sports Ethos. Whether it's the website or social media, you'll get, you'll get what you're looking for one way or another. Now, today we are going to get back to the team previews, and I'm going to be doing a couple of the previews this year solo, mostly because I don't want to subject guests to talking about teams that are not great. Uh, I don't need to bring on somebody and take away an hour and a half out of their day to talk about certain teams, and one of those teams is the Washington Nationals. I'm going to be doing this one solo today. We do have a special guest coming on the show tomorrow to talk Minnesota Twins. That's Brandon Warren. He's the host of the Locked On Twins podcast. He's also done a lot of work in, in baseball over the last decade plus. He used to work with Fangraphs in a few different places. So we'll talk with him. and We'll break down the Minnesota Twins tomorrow. When there's a more interesting team, we will still bring on guests. But for a team like the Nationals, I just couldn't subject any of my friends and colleagues to talking about this team. So we're going to break it down. We're not going to go through every single player because... Let's be honest, we don't need to, right? Stone Garrett, uh, Nick Senzel, Victor Robles, Carter Keyboom, Riley Adams. I don't think they're going to be of much interest to you guys in your fantasy leagues this year. I mean, maybe Stone Garrett if he's able to get enough playing time, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll just touch on him briefly. But there are really not that many players that require a deep dive on the Nationals. There are definitely a few, and we're going to get into them, which is why I'm doing the show at all. But there's really not so much to like here from a fantasy point of view. We're going to start at the top. We're going to start with the projected leadoff hitter, somebody who you know it should be the leadoff hitter for this team, and that's C.J. Abrams. C.J. Abrams has been one of the more polarizing players in all of fantasy baseball throughout the offseason. If you're just hopping in now and you're starting your prep, you're thinking, why? What's, what, what did C.J. Abrams do? He didn't do anything, really, except have a very strong second half which has now led people to push him up into about the third or fourth round of ADP. Depending on your league size, his ADP is 40.5 in the month of January. Minimum pick of 31, maximum of 58. If you want in the C.J. Abrams business, you're paying handsomely for it. I would advise strongly against it. I've had the opportunity to take C.J. Abrams several times this year, and there's just really never any need third or fourth round where he's generally going, I'm looking at pitching for the most part. But even if you are in, you know, looking to take a position player there, C.J. Abrams is a little bit too risky for my liking. If you look at the way the second half broke out for him in terms of the splits, you can check on fan graphs. If you click, uh, you go to a specific player's page, uh, there's an option for you to check splits, and it'll show you how they did month by month, the first half, second half, by position, the batting order, by all these different metrics. Uh, breaking down how they were from a, a various uh, from various different splits perspectives, right? Uh, where they shifted, not shifted versus lefties versus righties. Uh, there's, there's so much stuff. So I'd really recommend taking a look there on Fangraphs at the splits pages. If you haven't, they're very useful. You can look at the second half for C.J. Abrams and say, okay, he had 11 homers versus the seven he had in the first half. He stole a whopping 33 bases in the second half. 
that's kind of the big thing, right? He had more power. It wasn't a lot more, but 11 homers in 70 games versus seven homers in 81 games. You'll take that. But I think it's the speed that has everybody just falling in love at the thought of, well, C.J. Abrams, he stole 33 bases in the second half last year. He's probably going to be, you know, giving you 50 or so stolen bases. That's what a lot of people are thinking. He had 47 last year. The projections have him from anywhere from 35 to 41. So you're getting a big stolen base asset, and then that's kind of it. That's all you're getting with C.J. Abrams. You know, you're getting a projected fewer than 20 home runs, despite the fact that he's projected to play an entire season. And 151 games last year, 18 homers. It's not great. It's it's really not great from that perspective. And then that also, of course, impacts the runs and the RBIs. They're all kind of tied together to some extent. 64 runs, or excuse me, 64 RBI and 83 runs from C.J. Abrams last year. It's not good. It's just there's no way to frame it to make that good, especially the 64 RBI. You can look at 83 runs and say it's okay, but as somebody who's going to be a leadoff hitter or predominantly a leadoff hitter, you want to be, especially considering what you're drafting him, you want to be looking at somebody who's going to be able to give you close to 100 runs. In his 71 games out of the leadoff spot, 48 runs. It's not great. It's not all on him because the team around him just sucks, but that's something that we're going to have to pay attention to as well, right? You're drafting him in the third round. Is he able to be self-sufficient? There are players who play for terrible teams in the first couple of rounds of drafts that are self-sufficient. Bobby Witt Jr. is probably the best example. He plays for a terrible team, and yet you're taking him in the top three, top four picks every single time. It doesn't matter who's around him. He's able to sustain that value in and of himself. When you're talking about C.J. Abrams, is he going to be able to sustain top 50 value by himself? I'd say probably not. Those 47 stolen bases were very good. I am of the opinion that stolen bases generally are going to kind of come back down to earth a little bit this season. I think that teams are going to start to not allow bases to be stolen nearly as much as they did last year. And I don't really have a solid, you know, there's not a lot of data that I can really find that's supporting that other than I just don't think teams will be able to take advantage of it as much in year two as they did in year one. I just think teams are going to be better about allowing stolen bases to the same extent that they did last year. I don't know that CJ Abrams is going to be a threat to give you close to 50 stolen bases. I just don't really necessarily see it. When you're talking about that, the fact that stolen bases are going to probably come down a bit from 47 to, let's even call it 40 stolen bases. Let's say, let's say, give him the benefit of the doubt, he's giving you 40 stolen bases. If he's doing that to go along with 16 homers, 85 runs, 60 RBIs, and a, probably a fairly poor batting average in the 240-250 range, there's just no, no need to be taking him where he is going. He is one of the more overpriced players. I've talked about it a lot throughout the offseason. Um, you know, players I like, players I don't like. He is universally one of the players that I do not like across formats, whether it's CBS, Yahoo. It doesn't even matter what you're talking about because he's just so expensive. All of those, when I saw those other sites opened up, I thought CJ Abrams were going to be able to get him a little bit later. It's not really the case. You're still paying a handsome, handsome price for it. And I don't even think it really makes sense if you look at like the projections, what he's projected to do as a shortstop in terms of dollar value. He's projected as the 10th best second base, or excuse me, shortstop. If you're using an auction calculator, I'm using ATC's projections. In an auction calculator, ATC came out a couple days ago, Ariel Cohen's projection system. It's also available on Fangraphs, and you can plug it right into their auction calculator and just see who's projected for what. C.J. Abrams projected as a $12.7 player in 12-team leagues. It's not great. It's it's not great at all. Um, 
if you're looking at last year, and it's going to vary slightly, uh, but I like to use the Rasball Player Raider. Uh, CJ Abrams last year in 15 team leagues was about a $21 player. I'm just pulling up. I'm getting some grief from my from my Wi-Fi. I'm just pulling up the 12 teams, and he was an 18 and a half dollar player in 12 team leagues last year. So he is projected for quite a decrease, while also seeing a steep increase in his price. I just can't get behind it. I know that people are going to say, well, the steals, you know, those steals don't grow on trees. There's not so many players that are able to give you potentially 50 steals. But I think we get too caught up in that. You know, I, I'm in the middle of a draft right now where I took Jordan Alvarez as my first. Actually, no, he's my second round pick. It's a 12-team league. I went Strider and then Jordan Alvarez. And I'm immediately thinking, man, stolen bases. You know, we kind of all, are all caught up in this of thinking if you don't get steals early on, you're not going to get them at all. In this draft, and it's not my favorite team, there's definitely some risk associated with the players I've taken, but I have Cody Bellinger, Jazz Chisholm, O'Neill Cruz, Christian Yelich, Bryson Stott, Tyro Estrada, and Ian Happ. Those are not all my whole team, but those are parts of my team, and all those guys are going to be stealing in the roughly 20 stolen base kind of range. So just because you're getting 40 from a guy in the first three, four rounds, like, you know, good for you. You can get 40 from a guy in rounds 16 and 17, or 13 and 14, whatever it is, without having to spend your third-round pick on somebody who has such a flawed profile. It's beyond flawed when you're talking C. James. He doesn't get on base a lot. Like, yeah, he doesn't strike out a lot either, but the only real asset that he is, from a fantasy point of view, is for your batting app, or excuse me, for your stolen bases. That's, that's pretty much it. Outside of stolen bases, which we've just established, you can kind of get that later. There's nothing he's really doing for you. So I'm going to have to be out on C.J. Abrams across formats. It doesn't matter. 10-team league, 12-team league, 15-team league. I, I don't care. I just don't want to be paying that kind of price for somebody where I don't really have a lot of faith in them at all. Let's move on and let's talk about Lane Thomas. And he was somebody that we mentioned yesterday because he was brought up in the article, the roundtable discussion of toughest players to rank. And he is very tricky to nail down. He played 157 games this past season, and he was one of the better assets, especially at cost in fantasy this year. 28 homers, 20 stolen bases, a 268 batting average. Give you 101 runs and 86 RBIs. Lane Thomas was a darling. You probably, if you had him on your team, were incredibly successful because you weren't paying up for him, and yet he provided... Uh, let me just double-check and see where he finished, but I think it was like the top 30 or so if you're looking at Rasball. Uh, he was a $24.6 player in 12-team leagues, according to Rasball. The 27th player overall. A absurdly good season from Lane Thomas. Is this repeatable? Is Lane Thomas going to be able to give you close to 30 homers, more than 20 steals, more than 100 runs, decent batting average? Everything we're seeing suggests probably not. He's projected to have six fewer homers, 21 fewer runs, 17 fewer ribbies, five fewer steals, and a batting average that's about 20 points lower. And that's because he's a 20, now he's going to be a 28-year-old. Has he had his birthday yet? Yeah, he has his birthday yet. So he's 28 years old. That was kind of his breakout season. There's not a stable lineup around him. So there's no real reason to believe that Lane Thomas is going to be able to repeat this. And based on the price that you're paying, you kind of need Lane Thomas to at least come very close to repeating his season from last year, which is where I where it's really, really have trouble with him. 112 is the ADP, which I know it sounds like it's very far off from what we were seeing last year in terms of like his actual final ranking, but we're seeing him very routinely get picked, you know, 94, 92, 70. Uh, he went just a couple weeks ago in a draft at pick 40. This was January 15th. He went at pick 40. 
So people are still kind of generally overvaluing him, and this is maybe people who haven't gone through their all all their research. They're going to do this off season or whatever, and just kind of seeing that Lane Thomas is really one of those fool's gold type of assets. You know, he has one breakout year, and now we're paying an all time high price for him. It's just almost never going to work out from that perspective. You also got to take a look at the fact that he was kind of overshooting his metrics last year. Um, you know, three twenty five Babbitt never had anything like that. And he had a 268 batting average because of it. <clears throat> but he's expected, excuse me, to have a BABIP that is about 20 points lower. Batting average will probably come down 10 to 20 points because of that. So that 268, it is likely going to be 250. Is he going to be able to repeat the speed, which was kind of random from him? Eh, I don't know that he's a 20 stolen base guy. In fact, he's probably not. There was one game last year, and I'm going to try and pull up the log here because I had him on one of my teams for this. Uh, where was it? Lane Thomas. It was like, I thought he had a four stolen base game. Yeah, he did have a four stolen base game against the Giants in July. So four of those steals were kind of fluky just in one game. I know they still happened, but is that something that you're going to bank on and say it's repeatable? You're probably taking a few steals off the top. You're also probably not getting a hundred runs out of a guy in this lineup again. You're just, it's probably not going to happen. There's not that many guys in the whole league that score a hundred runs let alone somebody playing for this poor of a team. The 28 homers also seems kind of like the overshot what he's supposed to do. His ISO was 201. Last year it was 163, 177. Not a big slugging percentage guy. I think 28 homers was probably the high watermark for Lane Thomas. I'd bet anybody right now, I won't want to say any money, but I'd make a sizable bet that Lane Thomas never, ever gets close to 28 homers again. I just think that there are so many red flags in this Washington order, but specifically the two guys at the top that you have to pay up for. I just have no interest in Lane Thomas at his current cost, which is a lot of the time a top 100 pick. Again, he doesn't need to be exactly what he was last year to pay off, but he needs to be pretty damn close. And I just can't see myself ever paying that price when there's a lot of outfielders going in the 150 to 250 range that I'd feel quite a bit better about. Now let's talk about Kibé Ruiz. Kibé Ruiz is somebody that actually I think is fairly sustainable in terms of what he did last year. It was very good. 18 homers, 67 ribbies. He batted 260 from your catcher. That's pretty damn good. Now, I would have hoped for a couple more steals out of him. He had six stolen bases in 112 games in 2022. Only one last year in 136 games. You're not you know, taking him for speed, but you were kind of hoping that he'd give you three or four steals, which can really make a big difference if you're getting something, a non-zero number from your catcher. Now, I think that he's pretty primed to do about what he did again this uh, last year again this season. Play about 130 games, hit you between 15 and 20 homers. He doesn't have a spectacular run in RBI numbers, but that means that they're kind of achievable again. 55 runs, 67 ribbies. There's no reason to think he can't do that again. Very good plate discipline, only a 10% strikeout rate. Should be able to see a fairly high batting average. And from catchers, that's, that's pretty rare. Steamer hasn't projected a 270. ATC has him at 266, so you're getting a batting average asset that's probably going to be a non-zero factor for your steals. And again, it's probably going to be like two or three, but it's something to go along with decent pop that you're getting out of your catcher. So I think Kibar Ruiz in the close to the pick 200 range, 170, 180, really makes a lot of sense either as your first catcher or if you're you know somebody who invests early in catchers, maybe even as your second catcher. I don't see there being much reason to fade him where he's currently going, which is roughly pick 180. You know, I have a lot of problems with the top two guys in the order, but Kibar Ruiz, there's nothing I can really say that's that strongly against him. I'd be perfectly fine to have him on my team this year, even in a one-catcher league. 
if he's going to be your one catcher that you're going to try out and you can kind of punt catchers and stream them in one catcher leagues, give him a try. Key Ruiz is not expensive and the production is really, really good, especially the batting average. From your catcher, close to pick 200, you could do a lot worse. Let's talk about Joey Manessis. If you guys listen to the show, especially last offseason, you know that I was really out on him. He just seemed like somebody who was never going to repeat what he did in 2022. He had 13 homers in 56 games. He came up and he only struck out 20% of the time, which just turned out to be sustainable. Um, but he batted 324. And the 324 was never going to stay. The power on a per-game basis was never going to stay. 13 homers in 56 games. And he played 154 games this season, had the same number of homers that he did in 2022. It wasn't a bad fantasy season at all. 71 runs, 89 RBI, and a 275 batting average. At cost, it was a bad fantasy season. But, uh, you know, all things considered, Joey Manessis was not terrible. One thing you got to consider, and if you've been drafting on the NFBC, you know this, is that he's a utility-only player. He will have first base on most of the other uh, different sites, but he played 131 times last year as a designated hitter, 19 times at first and once in right field. It's a shame for NFBC players you couldn't get one more appearance in at first, but that's okay. He's still fine. And I've kind of turned around my tune on him a little bit. I don't love him. He's not somebody that I, like, he's a big target of mine or whatever. But at pick 366, the price has seriously gone down from last year. And you're still probably going to get something fairly similar to what you got last year, which was fine. It just, it hurt because you paid close to the top 100 value for it. 250 picks later, if he's able to give you exactly the same thing as he did last year, 13 homers, 89 ribbies, bats 275, 71 runs. It's annoying that he's utility only. But most of you guys are playing Yahoo. Most of you guys are playing CBS, Fantrax. He'll have a position. He won't be stuck in the utility spot. I think there's a decent chance he's able to actually pay a pretty good return from that ADP. Again, he's not somebody I'm targeting. He's not going to be on like a my guys list, or I'm not going to write articles about Joey Manessis or anything like that. But I think there's decent value where he's going at pick 366. If he's somebody, you're in your reserve rounds of your draft, you're picking your bench spots, there's not much harm you can do with Joey Manessis. Last year, you could do a ton of harm, but the fact that the price is just so depressed leads me buying back in to some extent. So take a chance on him. Take a chance on him. If you're in a 12-team league, if you're playing Yahoo, he's probably not going to make it, probably not going to make the cut, but there's definitely a chance that he does. So just keep an eye out for him. Um, that price is pretty damn appealing at this point. Now, there was some news the other day that they had signed Joey Gallo. Uh, this is actually from yesterday that Joey Gallo is now a member of the Washington Nationals, and this is actually kind of interesting. I think that he could have some value, and I'm not expecting it. I'm not going out there and thinking that he is going to be, you know, somebody you have to be drafted, he's going to be a really valuable player, whatever, but he's going after pick 700. Generally speaking, I mean, actually, he's gone up a little bit on the last couple of days since he signed, but 547 he went in the draft two days ago. He went at pick 700 on the 22nd. He's gone as high as 365, which is just kind of out outrageous at that point. There's no need to take him that high up. But if you're getting him in the 600s and the 500s, it's not bad. You know, you're filling out your roster. You're looking for playing time. I don't know how secure he is necessarily in his playing time, but he's a decent enough fielder with power. I, I could see Washington giving him a, a decent bit of run this year, like 100 or so games. And is that going to be terribly valuable for you? Probably not, considering the batting averages that Joey Gallo tends to give you. But as a reserve round pick, if you're looking for power deep in the season and you're just like, you know, uh, I'm down by 10 home runs, I need to do what I can, 
it doesn't matter my batting average at this point. You could maybe slot in Joey Gallo for a couple weeks and get five, six homers out of him. He works much better in an on-base percentage format. You don't have to worry about that batting average. He gets on base quite a bit. Walk rate for the career, 14.8%. But, of course, it's staggering. But he's a 38% strikeout rate for his career. So that batting average, if you are in a batting average league, is going to suck. But I honestly think if you're getting him in the 600s or so, you can do a lot worse than Joey Gallo. I, I wouldn't mind taking him as kind of a reserve round pick. Uh, and I said I was going to mention Stone Garrett. If he's able to play a full season, then I could see him going into like a 20 homer, maybe even a 10 steal to go along with that type of stat line. And that can be definitely very valuable. Um, I just don't know that it's terribly likely. It's possible. I just don't think he's somebody that they have a lot of faith in in terms of playing the field. I think he's probably going to be more of a uh, – well. I guess Manessis will be there a lot of the time. Stone Garrett, they have him slotted in right now, if you look at roster resource, as the DH, and they have Manessis as the first baseman. Maybe those switch around a little bit. Maybe he's able to get some at-bats also in the outfield. There's still things that are going to be worked on and free agents that are signed or whatever. So I guess Stone Garrett's situation is still kind of up in the air. I just don't know that there's a clear path for him to get the 140 games, 130 games where he would actually need to be fantasy viable. Because last year in 89 games, we had nine homers, we had three steals. It's just not really moving the needle so much for you. But if you're getting that kind of production, even maybe a slight improvement, you'd say maybe with another year under the another year under his belt, Major League Baseball, maybe he gets slightly better. I could maybe invest in him if I knew he had an everyday regular role. Right now, I just think it's maybe a little bit too risky to, to be putting the chips in on Stone Garrett. The bottom third of the order is also very risky. Can't really make many investments here. Luis Garcia, Nick Senzel, Victor Robles. Luis Garcia was actually, I think, not too bad last year. He did get sent down at one point, but as just a you know guy who gets on base, or not a guy who gets on base, a guy who is having a, a pretty decent batting average, bit of power, bit of speed in your lineup, he's actually not a bad fantasy asset. 122 games last year, you got nine homers, nine steals, and a 266 average. It's not that bad. If he's able to play consistently, which I think he should, but also they showed a willingness to send him down last year. Maybe they do it again. I don't mind him. I really don't mind Luis Garcia as, again, and this is kind of the case for most of these nationals, somebody to kind of fill out your bench depth. They're not going to be starters for the most part. But if you're talking like a 15-team league, you're getting Luis Garcia in like the 26th round or so, 387 is his ADP. At that point, I don't have any problem with it. I think you can kind of take a share or two and you'd be fine. Uh, just as a little bit of a boost for your batting average. Somebody with not a lot of power and a lot of speed, but somebody who's able to give you a bit of both, there is value in that. Um, so I think Luis Garcia could be a decent dart throw in the first couple rounds of your bench spots or your reserve rounds, but no massive targets. Honestly, in this whole lineup, Kiber Ruiz would be the guy that I would be targeting more than anybody else. And maybe even Joey Manessis, as crazy as it sounds for me to be saying it, I can't even believe I'm saying it, but I think he's a pretty good value at pick 366. And Key Bear in like the 170 range, I think I can also get behind that. Let's talk about some of these starting pitchers. And this is where we're going to get, you know, we're not going to go too much longer on this show because there's really not too much to talk about. Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, those are the two guys that they're hoping really pan out for the future. After that, Jake Irvin, Patrick Corbin, Trevor Williams. We're shoveling shit here, unfortunately. And I, I, I know that comes off sounding terrible, but we're talking from a fancy baseball point of view on this show most of the time, and most of these guys are not going to help you at all. Even their ace, their perceived ace, Josiah Gray, he is, he's not great, and he's not what I had hoped he would be after a couple years now in the big leagues. Once he was traded from the Dodgers, he was traded along with Kiber Ruiz for Max Scherzer a couple years ago. 
And if you just look at what he had done in the minors up to that point, you're looking at sparkling ERAs, very good supporting metrics, high strikeout rates, like 20% strikeout minus walk rates. He was excellent. In the big leagues now, we've seen that strikeout rate really fall off. The walks have come up when they were never really a huge factor in the minor leagues. Uh, Kind of at like rookie ball, low A, they were a bit of a problem for him when he was, how old was he at this point? 20 years old. But after that, he was kind of like a 25-ish, 20 to 25% strikeout minus walk rate guy. These last couple of years in the big leagues, we're seeing 13.6 strikeout minus walk, and this year down to 9%. The strikeout rate, which was 23.7 and fairly respectable in 2022, fell to 20.5. He also gained 1.3% on his walk rate from 10.2 to 11.5. The whip went from 136 to 146. It was just kind of bad. Now, somehow, some way, he ended up with a 391 ERA. But if you look at all the supporting metrics that we talk about here regularly on the show, the ERA estimators, 5.12 XFIP. He had a 5.03 X ERA. His Sierra was, where is my batted ball data? His Sierra was 5.08. There's nothing to like there. Bad team context, no strikeouts, bad supporting numbers. There's just nothing to like with Josiah Gray, unfortunately. You know, uh, I drafted him one time this year. It was in the 400s just as kind of pitching depth, you know, because in draft champions, you just kind of need to have innings. Even if they're not going to be amazing innings necessarily, uh, you need to look for somebody who is going to have a path to play at least when you're talking rounds four or not rounds 400, like picks 400 and beyond. Josiah Gray is going to pitch. I'm hoping maybe that he's able to turn things around, get the strikeout rate back up a little bit, et cetera, et cetera. But am I confident in that happening? Not particularly. I think that he is somebody that can be very easily faded across all your leagues, and you're really not going to miss out on so much this season. Now, Mackenzie Gore is a little bit more interesting. Mackenzie Gore, if you remember, when he first came up in 2022 at the beginning of the year with the Padres, he was amazing. Like He looked like he was going to win Rookie of the Year. He was flying on all cylinders. It looked really good. And then once he – I don't know if it was actually before he was traded or – I think it was before – he was traded. We started to see kind of the bloom fall off the rose, and it went downhill a little bit from there. He was in the minor leagues when he got traded as well, um, and that's where he pitched once he was traded from San Diego to Washington. He pitched in the minors for a few starts, and I don't think he made any major league appearances in 2022 for Washington. He didn't, only for San Diego, and then once he was traded, it was in the minors. This year was his first full year in the bigs, 27 starts. He only got 136 innings out of him. They weren't that bad, though. 442 ERA is not great, but the 411 XFIP is promising. The 523 XERA is not. I'm not a huge expected ERA guy. I more like to look at the Sierra and the XFIP. The Sierra was 421. That's really good. The strikeout rate, 26%, which is really good. The walks are the problem. 9.8% walk rate. You're going to get into some trouble with your whip, and that's what he got into. 1.40 whip this past season, 147 the year prior. I think that the... Honest, real, uh, honest expectations for Mackenzie Gore should be some small growth this year, but nothing drastic. I think you're going to see a low fours ERA with good strikeouts. Hopefully we shave a point off the walk rate or half a point, but I don't think you're getting a savior in uh, Mackenzie Gore, and you're paying a decent tag for him. 295 is the ADP. It doesn't sound expensive, but that creeps up on you in a 15-team league. That's a top 20 rounds. It's just a little bit too expensive for me. If he was going like where Josiah Gray is going, about 100 or so picks later, 90, 100 picks later, I'd definitely take a chance on him. 
here I think you can take a chance or two if you're playing in a bunch of different leagues. If you're a one-league type of player, Mackenzie Gore is not somebody where I think there's a super high floor or necessarily a super high ceiling for any pitcher in Washington. I don't know that they're going to have long leashes necessarily. And you saw last year, 136 innings, over 27 starts. It's just not a lot of volume, even though he's pitching most of the year. He's only averaging about five innings per start. It's, it's not bad. You'd like to see him get that up a little bit because he could pitch a whole season and it's 150 innings. You, you want a little bit more out of them. So I think we see some incremental growth from Mackenzie Gore this season, but he's still not somebody that I would be very comfortable uh, using a high draft pick in. And it's not necessarily a high draft pick, but from my perspective, top 300, there's still a lot of valuable players on the board. And I just can't get behind taking Mackenzie Gore over a lot of them. Now, the rest of this rotation, I'm not going to subject you to me analyzing Patrick Corbin, Trevor Williams, and Jake Irvin. They're not fantasy options. They're not going to be. There's just no chance. They're not assets at all. You're going to draft them, and they're going to bring your team down. Jake Irvin at pick 688, Corbin at 714. If you want to take a chance in the last couple rounds, then you can take a chance in the last couple rounds it's not going to help out your team at all. You know, at least with Gray and with Gore, they're still young guys and there's potential for growth over the next couple of years, highly touted prospects. These three guys are just there to eat innings and they're not going to do it efficiently. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be really, really ugly. If you look at the projections for this whole rotation, Mackenzie Gore's got the best ERA projection and outside of him, you're looking at 496, 487, 521, and 519. Those are the projected ERAs. It's ugly. It's ugly shit. Stay away from the Washington Nationals rotation, to be sure. Now, when we are talking about the bullpen, the bullpen is, again, not great. I think if you're looking for saves and you're looking for cheap saves this year, Kyle Finnegan is probably your guy. Uh, 227 is the ADP. I think that he's probably fairly solidified as the closer. Hunter Harvey, people talk about Hunter Harvey as well as maybe being uh, somebody who will get some chances. I think he'll get some, but I think that, honestly, Finnegan is the guy that they should be turning to, and they've shown that they will turn to him more often than they will to Hunter Harvey. I think that he's the guy that you should be investing in. He had 28 saves last year, 3.76 ERA. Not a big strikeout guy, but a pretty decent strikeout to walk because he keeps the walks pretty low for a reliever at 13 point, or Excuse me, at 8.3. The strikeout minus walk is 13.5. Most closers, you're looking at 10% plus walk rate. It's not bad that you're getting 8.3 out of Finnegan. I, I don't really feel strongly about the Nationals and their, and their bullpen situation, but I will say if you want to take Hunter Harvey as kind of a backup of you know maybe they call it a handcuff if you're somebody that's uh, looking to speculate on somebody who does not have a closer job right now but could throughout the season, Hunter Harvey at 278 is not a bad price. It's still not amazing. I don't love it. He could luck into 20 saves or so. I'm honestly just kind of avoiding the whole thing. I, I think if you can take Kyle Finnegan later on, it's fine. Don't be you know, waiting for so long to the point where Kyle Finnegan is your number one or number two. He should be at least your number three relief pitcher, in my opinion. If he's your number two paired with like a Josh Hader, maybe you can get by. But I'm really not that interested in this situation for pitchers at all in Washington. It's ugly. It's going to be really ugly on the mound for them this year. If you are a DFS player, then I would be using players playing against this Washington Nationals rotation pretty regularly. And that's something you're going to see in different sims and different models. I'm sure they will pop up a lot this year because their pitching is just absolutely horrendous. On the offensive side, too, they're just not a good team. The Nationals, I'm sorry to say, because I know there are people who are listening who will be Nationals fans, and you're hoping that I'll say something nice about your team. 
they're just not great. They're, there's nothing really to say that there's going to be any improvement either. If you look at what they've done this offseason, have they made any moves? You know, outside of Joey Gallo, has there been anything of any significance done by this team? I don't think so. I think that they're really, truly hoping on guys like Dylan Cruz and James Wood to pan out, and those are guys you can take late in your draft champions. And we are going to do prospect episode. I'm not sure who is going to join us yet because God, Lord knows I cannot do that on my own. I'm not somebody who focuses enough on prospects that I could actually do that justice. But we are going to do a prospect-centric episode. We'll talk about guys like Dylan Cruz and James Wood. I think that they're decent speculative draft picks later on in your DCs. But you know, if you're talking about the team as a whole and what they're going to do this year for real baseball purposes, they're at least a 90-loss team. Probably more. It's looking super, super ugly. And I'm sorry to be negative, but that's just the way it is with this team that's going to do it though that's going to wrap it up for our nationals preview let me know what you think over on twitter at joe orico 99 if you disagree and you think that these guys are good assets or you think there's somebody i missed potentially let me know and we can always touch on something at a later date or i can just you know go back and forth with you in uh the dms the dms are open on twitter if you got any fantasy questions or anything like that once again that's joe orico 99 and also at ethos fantasy bb sportsethos.com is the website and i would recommend going and checking out that article that hit the site yesterday it was a lot of fun to put together 3500 words of goodness from six different people and then i also contributed as myself but i'm not counting myself in the goodness part of it i was just there for to be along for the ride with these great writers but go ahead and check that one out that was a lot of fun a lot of great information involved in there as well now like i mentioned off the top tomorrow with minnesota twins day with brandon warren of the locked on twins podcast go and check him out he does a ton of work he does a ton of tweeting uh, about the twins as well if you are a minnesota twins fan if you're somebody who just wants to follow along with what's going on with the team uh, at brandon underscore warren w-a-r-n-e we're going to talk with him tomorrow afternoon you'll get that one in your feed tomorrow evening but until then guys take care have a great night we will see you then